The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. And if you're new to DraftKings, you got to check this out. New customers bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code ROSS. That's code ROSS for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net in New York. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash football for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. You're listening to DraftKings Network. You're tuned in to the Ross Tucker Football Podcast. Guiding your gridiron journey, none other than your host, former NFL lineman, Ross Tucker. Oh, yes! But it's not just any Ross Tucker football podcast. It is a teaching tutorial Thursday presented by DraftKings. That means the civilian GOAT, Greg Cosell, the professor from NFL Films University, is in the house. One of our favorite days every week. Cannot wait to talk with Greg momentarily. Got to get his thoughts on the divisional round some of these coaching moves, and of course, an epic preview of both conference championship games. I can't believe tomorrow's already Friday, which means I'll already have a spread the word winner, someone that engages in some way with one of our live streams, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube of this show, or someone that takes advantage of one of our sponsors like GameTime or WestShoreHome.com slash Ross, which is easy. You just sign up for a free estimate. And then the YouTube shout out's always very cool. YouTube.com slash Ross Tucker NFL. I literally do a video saying pretty much whatever you want me to say within reason that you can show your buddies or whatever. It's cool. Just make sure you subscribe and comment on any video on YouTube. That's kind of how I see them come through. Patron of the day, Andrew S. Andrew wanted to keep his last name a secret. Maybe you shouldn't get a shout out. If you want to keep your last name a secret, I don't know. Patreon.com slash RT Media. It's Big Show time. The Big Show. All right, Greg. So before we get into some of the coaching news or these conference championship games, I just wanted to get your takeaway from the divisional round matchups. I'll give you a blank slate. If you don't go in a direction that I have a question, I might follow (laughs) up. But just start with the Texans and the Ravens. And what, what jumped out to you there? Well, I think we were probably all surprised at the percentage of blitz that the Texans uh, deployed versus the Ravens. It was very high percentage. It was totally antithetical to what D'Amico Ryans had done all season long. Um, And he obviously felt that was the best way to go. And uh, I thought that Lamar Jackson and the offense for the Ravens handled it extremely well. Remember, it was 10-10 at the half. They came out in the third quarter, and I thought they, they got physical with it. 
They used Lamar Jackson in the run game by design. I thought that was really effective. You know, Lamar Jackson as a runner, both by design and uh, and when he leaves the pocket, is such a difficult weapon and difficult challenge for defenses. And I personally think that'll be a big factor this week as well. You know, they were struggling against the Blitz, Greg, in the first half. And then the second half, they they also were getting rid of the ball a lot faster. And you could tell they had some really good answers for it, which I was impressed by. And I know this sounds weird, Greg, with them not scoring an offensive touchdown. I came away impressed by C.J. Stroud. Yeah. I didn't think it was too big for him. He made a bunch of really good throws. He was not sacked. He bought time when he had to. He threw the ball away. You know, he's under pressure a lot. There was a lot of times where at least, you know, at first glance, I didn't see open receivers. I didn't think it was a negative evaluation at all. No, their O-line was overmatched in that game. So he he was constantly under duress. He had to move quite a bit. But uh, you made a point about the blitz. I thought that the run game and the quick timing pass game was the Ravens' profile in the second half. That's what they deployed to attack and beat the Texans' high-percentage pressure defense. They sustained offense beautifully. I mean, they were not a ton of big plays, but the way they sustained, uh, they got 14 first downs in the second half after only getting eight in the first half. Um, Keep in mind, they only had one play of over 20 yards in the second half. So it was really a run game and a quick pass game. It was impressive. Speaking of impressive, Greg, the Packers. Packers, I mean... There's about seven plays I can name off the top of my head right now that if they went the other way, the Packers would have won that game against the 49ers. What what did you see? And I guess in particular, what did you see from Brock Purdy since that seems to be what a lot of people are talking about this week? Yeah, I mean, there's no question that Purdy did not play uh, one of his better games. Um, I thought he was a little uncomfortable. Um, you know, the O-line did not do a very good job, and that's a concern in this matchup now coming up with the Lions. But their O-line, particularly on the right side with McKivitz and Feliciano, they're not particularly strong in one-on-one pass protection, and that uh, that shows up at times throughout every game. And I thought that uh, in this particular game, uh, uh, Purdy just got uncomfortable early. There were too many dropbacks in which he did not turn the ball loose with his normal timing. Uh, He got stuck in the pocket holding the ball. And uh, as you and I know, Ross, he's not at his best as a late-in-the-down pocket quarterback. He's a timing player. He must play with precise timing. So, um, but, you know, look, he obviously made a couple of big throws uh, later in the game. And uh, credit to him. But, uh, you know, this was not one of his better games. What jumped out to you on the other side when the Packers had the ball? Um... You know, I, I I think there are a couple of things, and and let's talk about it from the perspective of the Niners because they're the team moving on. Um, the Niners are not very good in third down defense, and and a lot of people might not be aware of that. They're in the bottom third of the NFL in third down defense, and the Packers converted quite a bit on third down. Um, and what stood out to me in this game was the the the, the foundation of the 49ers' pass defense was four-man D-line pass rush. They played high-percentage zone coverage concepts. They played a lot of two-shell coverage. Um, and, uh, you know, I thought that essentially they did not get a lot of pressure on the quarterback, which has been a little bit of a problem for them given the players that they have. Um, Chase Young has not looked particularly good since he's been a 49er. Um, 
So they've not been able to really pressure the quarterback, I think, the way they want to. And uh, and Love played for the most part well. But you know what? Everybody got so excited, Ross, about all these off-platform throws he makes, throwing off balance. You can't play like that. I mean, I love Jordan Love, and I think he's going to be a really good player. But he, they need to work with him on when it's not necessary. He needs to to plant and throw with a firm base. You start throwing off balance too often, and you start making inaccurate throws. Interesting. Um, really interesting. What about the Lions and the Bucks? Yeah, the Lions are a fascinating team. Let me just focus on their defense for the moment because I really love what Aaron Glenn does. Keep in mind that they do not have really good corners. Cam Sutton and Kendall Vildor are their corners, and any given week, that could be a problem for them. But what he does with his front, what he does with his pressure concepts, they're so multiple. The way they use defensive backs as blitzers, slot corner Brian Branch, safety uh, Mellon Fonwu, who's been starting since week 13, has become an impact playmaker for them. And the way they use them in the blitz game, the way they use sort of specific situational players, the linebacker Jalen Reeves-Maben, who plays 15, 18 snaps a game in their nickel, has become an important piece in their defense. So I think he does a really, really good job. It's just there are times in that you just can't cover up poor corner play, and that's going to be potentially an issue for them. It can be in any given game. Offensively, though, Greg, man, they get they get in a rhythm sometimes. Ah, it's, it's impressive. They are so uh, fun their, their to watch line is really good. Yeah, they're so fun to watch offensively. Phenomenal spacing with their route concepts versus zone. Two really good backs who are different. Um, I love the way they use Laporta, not just as a receiver, Ross, but the way they detach him from the formation. You know, one of the things about these four teams in the playoffs, okay, that are, you know, in the championship weekend, they play out of what we call base personnel, two tight ends, three tight ends, a fullback. In other words, they don't have three wide receivers on the field. They play out of base personnel a relatively high percentage of the time. All four of these teams, and we think of the NFL as a passing league, spread it out, get your wide receivers on the field. That's not the way these four teams play. Wow, that's interesting. Because you obviously wouldn't think that about the Chiefs, but that is how they've been this year. The Chiefs this past week against the Bills, almost 60% of their snaps came out of either 12 personnel with two tight ends or 13 personnel with three tight ends. Wow, say that again, Greg? Almost 60% of their snaps came out of either 12 personnel or 13 personnel against the Bills. And they've been like that, not that high a percentage, but they've been trending that way, really going back to last season in 2022, Ross. And you think that's pr primarily because they think their tight ends are better players than their receivers? You know, we don't know the exact reason, but when you have tight ends that can detach from the formation, as we know Kelsey can, and by the way, Noah Gray's pretty good as well, I, I think it puts a big burden on a defense because what you're trying to find out from the defense, are they going to stay in base? In which case you glean a lot of information pre-snap when you detach your tight ends, or are they going to play out of nickel? In which case you're going to have advantages in the run game. And we know how important Isaiah Pacheco has become for the Chiefs over the last month or so. Let's get into that Bills-Chiefs game. You talked about the Chiefs and what they did from a personnel standpoint on offense. What else stood out to you from that game? Obviously, Greg, you know, Josh Allen played a really, really good game, it felt like, for the most part, and they still lost. Yeah, you must not have been on social media, Ross, because uh, apparently, you know, Josh Allen just can't win games and he should be cut. But, um, you know, what I, I wish I was 
a fly on the wall during their week of preparation because I was fascinated by their offensive approach. Now you could argue it worked. Um, and, and maybe they did that to, to protect their defense. That's, that would be very legitimate because you and I both know that they had so many injuries on defense and they, they probably felt they could not really match up to the chiefs. But I will say this, they did not attack at all in the pass game. Yeah, they took a shot or two when it was one-on-one, but they didn't really design route concepts to attack the two shell safety coverage of the chiefs. And you and I both know that for people who say, well, they're playing two shell coverage. That that's garbage. You can attack that. Of course you can. That's done all the time in the league. So they chose not to. And again, I'm not taking a side here because it might've been the exact right approach. Who knows if they tried to play more aggressively on offense and maybe would have had some more three and outs, who knows? Maybe the chiefs would have put up 40 against a bill's depleted defense. So I'm not taking a side. I just found it fascinating watching the tape that they really did not attack at all with the pass game. You know what I attack, Greg? I attack DoorDash. When I'm watching games, I make it easy on myself. I order in on DoorDash. Now I can root for my squad or my Even Money podcast bets while my food and drinks are on the way. So that means burgers, chips, dips, soda, pizza, wings, so much more delivered straight to my door and yours. Let's talk about some of these coaching situations, Greg. Vic Fangio parts ways with the Dolphins. And sounds like he's the top target for the Eagles. Yeah. There's some school of thought, Greg, that NFL offenses have quote unquote solved the Fangio defense. Your thoughts? Solved is too strong a word. The league is cyclical. And I think what happens, and you can go back through history, is that things work, and then whatever side of the ball it is, those coaches come up with ways to attack it, and then the other coaches adjust. So it's not a matter of solving. I think because more and more teams play out of a quarter structure, which it was always Fangio's foundation, more and more teams have done that, is more and more offenses now have discovered ways in which to attack it. And so now it's a chess match now. And Vic Fangio is a very smart man. So now he's doing the same thing. He's thinking, okay, I see what teams are doing offensively. So now I have to respond as well. So it's not a matter of solving. Everything is tactically cyclical in the NFL. And there's really smart coaches. What about Jim Harbaugh and what the the Chargers fans can expect to get from him? I know from my perspective, it's funny to hear you talk about the four teams this weekend and base personnel yeah. because that's what I think when I think of Jim Harbaugh and I greatly enjoy the extra O-linemen, the multiple tight ends. I just think it's fun and different. Well, you know, it's easy to say, of course, that Harbaugh is going to bring, you know, a culture change and all that. But, you know, we know how he would like to play. The run game matters. Physical football matters. It will be different. Um, I personally think that that style of offense with the play action, with the quarterback under center, I think that fits Justin Herbert extremely well. Now, it might not all happen in year one because they're, they're going to need some players, although I don't think they have a poor offensive line. Um, but you know, I think that that's the way he would prefer to play. He'd like his team to have a physical disposition as opposed to a spread it out and throw it all over the yard. He's not going to play like that. So we'll see, you know, how quickly it all comes together. I, I don't follow the salary cap, so I don't know what their situation is. Uh, I'm sure many know that. I don't. Um, but I think that there will be just a change in approach and a change in philosophy. 
Let's dive into these conference championship games, Greg. We'll hit both sides of the ball. Ravens, Chiefs, I'll be on the sideline for Westwood 1. Looks like it's going to rain, which is not good. But let's go when the Ravens have the ball. Ravens offense against Chiefs defense. Yeah, the Ravens offense is very difficult to defend. It's the Lamar factor because I think as a designed runner, you'll see more and more of that, particularly if the weather dictates that. What I'm fascinated to see is is how Steve Spagnolo decides to defend that. Um, you know, he he's not necessarily a high, high percentage blitzer, but he's very selective with his pressures and he's very good with his pressures. So I'm curious, again, you're dealing with an offense with the Ravens that plays in a lot of base personnel. So now you get into what do you do on defense? Do you stay in your base personnel, which limits to some degree your pressure schemes? Most pressure schemes do not come out of base. Um, do you just line up and play given that, hey, we've got good players and, and we're going to, you know, do our job, play discipline play assignment sound football um that that's a fascinating matchup but as i said earlier i think that lamar jackson as a runner both by design and when necessary scrambling is going to be a big big factor in the game and he's played well this year you know people who look at numbers with lamar jackson i think are missing the point of how difficult he is to defend and how he truly stresses defenses not only during the game ross but in their game plan preparation during the week what about the Chiefs on offense, Greg? Yeah, that's that's really interesting, too, because this Ravens defense is really, really good. And they've got a lot of really good players. Um, again, we talked about the Chiefs playing a lot out of multiple tight end personnel sets. I would imagine what you'll see from the Ravens is you'll see them in, in their big nickel. You'll see Kyle Hamilton as kind of a box slot safety uh, as opposed to them playing, you know, base 5-2 personnel. Uh, uh, so... I think the run game has become really critically important for the Chiefs. We've seen Mahomes, once the playoffs has started, sort of become the Mahomes we've all expected, playing at a really high level. He's obviously a phenomenal player, but I think the run game has become a really meaningful part of what they do. The gap scheme run game where they pull a guard has become really effective for them. We're talking on a Thursday. I don't know what Joe Tooney's availability is. I know he got hurt. If he's out, that's an issue. He's a really good player, as you know, but the gap scheme run game is a is a major element of what they do because it really fits Pacheco with his urgent competitive downhill running style. Yeah, I think I read where somebody said told him he runs like he bites people, which I thought was yeah, an and, amazing and- amazing comment he's a tempo setter you know look you played in the league you know when you have a run game and a back that's a tempo setter that's a physical tempo setter that means something you know people want big plays explosive plays but that means something over the course of four quarters as you well know and he's certainly the kind of back that if it's blocked for three he gets eight how about Lions on offense against the Niners in the NFC Championship? Yeah, that's a fascinating matchup. The 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 49ers, they've not gotten the pass rush that they've hoped for. Um and their run defense has been a little leaky at times. Uh and and the Lions give you a lot of different formation looks. Um they play a lot with multiple tight ends as well. We talked about LaPorta being able to detach from the formation and really 
give Jared Goff some great information pre-snap. Uh, they've got two running backs that are different. So the run game is different with Montgomery and with Gibbs. With Montgomery, you see a lot of gap scheme. With Gibbs, you see some more zone. Um, but they can line up in base personnel and run the ball. They can spread it out. They use a lot of motion. Um, it'll be interesting to see how the Niners deal with the motion. Amon Ross St. Brown is often their movement receiver. Um, a lot of tight splits, a lot of cut splits, reduced splits with wide receivers closer to the formation. Um, the spacing of their routes, as we've discussed going back, you know, all season really has been is so good versus zone. They really define the reads and the throws for Garrett, Jared Goff. And if he's comfortable in the pocket, he throws a beautiful ball. How about on the other side when the Niners have the ball? Yeah. Um, again, the, the Debo Samuel situation, as we're speaking on a Thursday, I guess is up in the air right now. Um, he is so critical to them in both the run game and in the pass game. The run game, he's an unbelievable blocker. The pass game, he gives them the ability just to throw that quick tunnel screen and seemingly gain 9, 10, 12, 15 yards. And losing that is big because that's just an extension of the run game. Um, and obviously, the the multiplicity formationally when you have Samuel and McCaffrey, who become somewhat interchangeable, is is you lose that if he's not there. So their offense becomes, I don't want to say predictable, that's not the right word, but it becomes less multiple and less diverse. Um, and I love what Aaron Glenn does. I think he does an unbelievably good job with how he, he uses his fronts, his front seven people, how he has sort of multi positional people like Derek Barnes, like Jack Campbell. And keep one thing in mind, they had the second best run defense in the National Football League this year, and they have something that not many teams have. They have two stacked backers, your buddy Alex Anzalone, who's 245, and Jack Campbell, who's 250. You don't see that very much in the NFL now, and those guys can stop the run. They are physical in-the-box defenders, and I think that matters in this game. Check him out on social media. He is the man. We love him. We talk to him every Thursday at Greg Cosell. Thank you, Greg. Thanks, Ross. Heart disease is the number one cause of death in the U.S. due to the often invisible risk factors. One in five heart attacks occur with no recognizable signs or warning. Moreover, having conditions such as diabetes or high blood pressure can increase your chance of a heart attack by up to 2x with the big game upon us. Heart attack risk can more than double when your home team is playing. We're encouraging all sports fans to learn more about their personal heart risk factors so they can keep their hearts in the game. To help educate on those risks, Bear Aspirin created the Bear Aspirin Heart Risk Assessment Tool. The tool quickly assesses an individual's personal risk of developing cardiovascular disease so that they can discuss their heart health risk factors with a healthcare professional as part of ongoing health management. Learn more and assess your risk factors at checkyourheartrisks.com. Ducks takes. All right, Ross, we'll start the Chargers. They've officially hired Jim Harbaugh as their next head coach. Right, obviously talked about that with Greg a little bit. This comes as no surprise. You know, so many of these tea leaves, it feels like, you know, for about a week we kind of knew this was going to happen. At least I felt like I did. Uh, I still think Belichick will go to Atlanta, but I don't know. You never know. They've interviewed a bunch of different people down there. Uh, to answer Greg's question earlier, by the way, the Chargers are not in a good place from a salary cap standpoint next year. So that'll be interesting to see how they sort of um, 
decide to play that, right? Do they just take all their medicine here in year one so they have a clean slate for Harbaugh year two and moving forward? Or do they try to kick the can down the road a little bit and, and try to change the culture and have success here in year one? It, it sounds like Joe Hortiz from Baltimore is getting a second interview to be the GM. Let me read some more tea leaves for you, Jack. He's highly likely to get that job because he's been in Baltimore for a long time. So he's been very close with John Harbaugh in Baltimore. Jim Harbaugh was hired first as the head coach, meaning he'll have a lot of say as to who the GM will be. And my guess is it'll be someone that he either previously knows and has a relationship with. Some people say like Ed Dodds from Indy, or it'll be Hortiz because of the recommendation from his brother, Jim. They swap coaches a lot. Packers are moving on from defensive coordinator Joe Barry. Not altogether surprising, other than the fact that they did play better defense down the stretch. You know, that last game, certainly against the Bears the regular season, they played pretty darn well against the Packers. I thought they played pretty darn well against the Niners, but the larger body of work was not enough for Matt LaFleur. He's making a change. Interestingly, Jack, this will be now his third D coordinator, at least his third, right? He had Mike Pettin. I don't know if he had anybody before Mike Pettin, but he had Mike Pettin. Now he's had Joe Barry. So LaFleur will be on his third D coordinator, which is interesting. By the way, whether you're hosting game day or movie night, DiGiorno knows that planning a watch party on a budget isn't easy. You need the perfect setting, the perfect squad, and the perfect eats. Luckily, you're a game-time mastermind, and you know that grabbing DiGiorno Classic Crust Pizza can bring home a dub because it's packed with half a pound of cheese, sauce, and other toppings and comes at an incredible price. Make the game-winning call and grab a DiGiorno Classic Crust Pizza from the grocery store today. It's not delivery. It's DiGiorno. As you mentioned earlier, Greg, Vic Fangio and the Dolphins are mutually parting ways, and he's expected to be the top target for the Eagles. So this is interesting on multiple levels. One is there's people connecting dots with Brandon Staley going to the Dolphins, the former Chargers head coach. So we'll see if that happens. And then for Fangio, you know, he, he, his family is in Pennsylvania. He's from Pennsylvania. I think he wanted to be the Eagles defensive coordinator this year, but he didn't want to get left without a job and it looked like John again was going to be back. So he went to Miami and I don't know if there's animosity there or the dolphins just want to allow him to be able to go back where he wants to be in Pennsylvania. At this stage of his life probably has grandkids in the whole deal, uh, which would be great if, if that can happen for him. You know, these people do have families, right? It's not just about football. Other than that, I think we're done here. For tuning in to the Ross Tucker Football Podcast. Make sure to also check out Even Money, Fantasy Feast, and College Draft, all on the DraftKings Network on Samsung TV Plus, YouTube, or subscribe to the podcast on your favorite platform. Shout out to myfrontpagestory.com. Gosh, I love it. I love myfrontpagestory.com. And I love those of you that get a loved one a story from myfrontpagestory.com because I guarantee I'll sign and send you a press pass guarantee it there's no like entering a contest no no you win myfrontpagestory.com backofficeschedule.com steakhousesports.com humanheadnyc.com sportaculture and pizza boy brewing